Mark chapter 14, and if you've been following along with the Gospel of Mark reading guide, chapter 14 is a rich chapter. Chapter 14 begins the story of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we are getting to the good part in Mark chapter 14. But we're going to be focusing on the first part of Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, how would you like to be Simon the leper, you know? How would you like for that to be your nickname? I wouldn't like it. Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When I, when I began to prepare this sermon, and I, I began to read through Mark chapter 14, the line that jumped out at me immediately was in verse 3 where it says, She broke the jar. She broke the jar. I was in my office reading my commentary, and I flew out of my office and I said, Guys, I've got it. I've got the sermon. And poor Suzanne and Jeanette, you know, they were like, Go back to your office and close the door so that we can get our work done. But I, immediately that jumped out at me, and I felt like the, the word that the Lord wanted me to share today came straight from that, those four little words. She broke the jar. She poured the perfume on his head. I want to talk today about what it looks like to live broken before God. We resist brokenness in our lives. We like to be in control. We like to have everything together. But as we read the Bible, we find over and over that God brings us to a place of brokenness. So we're going to sit in the tension of that moment this morning where she broke the jar. And I want to talk today about what it means to live broken before God. And the first thing we need to understand is there is commitment in the breaking. Breaking requires commitment. So we see here that she, she had a jar of very expensive perfume. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. And thank goodness for Google, I found an artifact that was an alabaster jar. Um, and I've got a picture here for you. And you can see that this jar is broken. Um, alabaster is a mineral that is easily carved and it's easily broken. And this ointment that she had was so expensive that when they bottled it, they would seal the bottle so that none of it could evaporate. Because this was the kind of thing that you passed down from generation to generation. It was like an inheritance. And if you had this jar on your shelf, you had financial security, you knew that you were good if you had this jar of ointment on your shelf. But if, you, if it evaporated... We're kind of in trouble. So as they manufactured it, they made it in such a way where in order to e avoid evaporation, the bottle was sealed and the ointment could only be used by breaking the jar. So it's a one-time use kind of thing. You only have one chance to decide what you're going to do with this super expensive ointment. 
And the woman in the story, she came to a moment where she had to make a decision. Is this the moment where I'm going to break this bottle? Is this the moment where I'm going to use this ointment that I've been waiting to use for all this time? Because the truth is, once you break that jar, there's no going back. You have to use the ointment in that moment. There's no going back. There's no plan B. You're all in at that moment that you decide to break the jar. Now, this is a theme that we see over and over in the book of Mark, where Jesus goes to the disciples before they're his disciples, and he says, hey, put down what you're doing and and follow me. Put down what you're doing and become my follower and start to live your life according to the way I'm teaching. And we see the disciples over and over, they leave behind what they had, and they have this moment of making a decision and stepping into who Jesus is, stepping into the story that Jesus is writing. You know, Jesus is like, come and follow me. And they're like, Jesus, I'm, I'm in the middle of something. Can I finish this? And Jesus is like, no. And they're like, okay. And they get up and they follow him. They leave behind everything they knew. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the young man who came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to be your follower? And Jesus ends up saying, you have to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away. He can't commit in that moment. He walks away. There comes a moment of decision where we have to decide, am I in or am I out? Am I going all in with this Jesus thing or am I walking away? Because the truth is that Jesus made some bold claims about himself. Jesus said some things about him, about himself that we can't really ignore. Things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want a relationship with the Father, you got to go through me. That's not very tolerant, is it? Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to God. It's me. Jesus said things like, I am the living water. And if you drink of the springs of the life I'm going to give you, you're never going to thirst again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you take your sustenance from me, you're never going to be spiritually hungry again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want eternal life, it's going to come through me. That's the only way. I'm the resurrection and the life. Those were bold claims. And the people who followed Jesus had this proverbial moment of breaking the jar. They said, the way this guy is teaching, the way this guy is talking, he's either right or he's wrong. And if he's right, I'm not going to be on the wrong side of it. I'm breaking the jar. I'm stepping into a relationship with Jesus and I'm leaving behind all of my other options. This was a hard thing that Jesus was saying. And in fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus says this kind of thing. He says, look, you've got to be all in with following me because I'm the only way to God. And a bunch of the disciples were like, this guy's nuts. We're out of here. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus said, look guys, if you want to go, you can go. If you don't want to follow me, if this is too hard, I get it, you can go. And Peter said, we don't have anywhere else to go. We don't have anywhere else to go. We gave up our other options. We broke the jar. You're all the hope we have left. We have to keep following you. 
See, this woman had this moment where she had to decide whether or not this was worth it, but she had seen what Jesus was capable of. She had seen Jesus love people in the margins that nobody else loved. She had seen Jesus release healing. She had seen Jesus teach in such a way that he only could have heard those things from the heart of God. And she said, if this isn't it, there's nothing left for me. I'm breaking the jar and I'm stepping into it. See, the truth is in my life, I broke the jar a long time ago. A long time ago, I decided if it's not Jesus, it's nothing. I have nothing but Jesus. I decided that a long time ago. And the older I get, some of my beliefs are starting to shift a little bit. Some of my beliefs are shifting, and there's some things that I'm not sure of anymore that I used to be really sure of. I used to have theological beliefs that I was like totally sure of, and now that I'm older and now that I've walked through some difficult circumstances, I'm not so sure about some of that anymore. But I can tell you what I'm sure of. I can tell you that every time I've been in a place of darkness and death, Jesus has brought me back to life and brought me into a place of hope. I can tell you that there is peace in my life where there used to be fear because of the work in Jesus, the work of Jesus in my life. And I can tell you that every time I'm dead in my sin, Jesus brings me back to life because he's the resurrection and the life and his mercies are new every morning. That's what I know for sure. I broke the jar. I'm all in. There's nothing for me anymore. Paul says at one point, he says, you know what? If we're preaching the cross and it turns out to be wrong, we're to be pitied because we don't have anything else. We're like this woman with her jar. She said, you know what? I might as well break it and go all in because if this Jesus thing isn't real, if this Jesus thing isn't the truth, there's no point anyway. There's nothing left for me but Jesus. She was in a place of brokenness that required her to step into that, to commit her life to what Jesus was doing. I have nothing if I don't have Jesus. But there's things that hold us back from making this commitment, and sometimes we're right on the cusp of deciding. We're like, man, the Jesus thing sounds great, but I'm not quite ready to go all in with it. And we have that alabaster jar, and we put it on the shelf, And then we take it off the shelf, and we're like, okay, no, I'm going to put it back on the shelf. Okay, I'm ready now. I'm going to take it out. And we keep, we're not quite ready to break that jar and go all in. Sometimes it's a fear of the future. It's a fear of the unknown. For this woman, this alabaster jar represented financial security for the future. It may have been a dowry. That may have been the thing that was going to allow her to marry into a family that was going to provide her security. This was her control of her future that she was giving up. Sometimes we hesitate to go all in with Jesus because we're like, man, I'm not ready to give up control of what the future might hold for me. Something that can hold us back is the fear of being wrong. Man, what if I break this jar and and all of this money that this represents and all of the history of my family, I break this jar and I pour it out on Jesus and he's crucified like he said he would be and he's not resurrected like he said he would be. What happens if I go all in with this and Jesus doesn't turn out to be the person that he said he was? What if he lets me down? What if I'm wrong? What if I go and I get baptized in a baptism service at the bridge and I invite all my friends and family and they see me be baptized and they're like, yay, good for you. And then I turn out to be wrong. What if my commitment to Jesus makes me look like a fool? We're afraid of that sometimes. Maybe you're afraid 
that you're going to go all in with Jesus. You're going to show up and say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus is going to look at you and go, not you. Not you. I don't want you. You have too much sin in your life. You're not talented enough. You're not the person I want. You're not going to be able to make a big enough splash in the kingdom. So thanks, but no thanks. Keep your jar Some of you are are afraid that if you go all in with Jesus, he's going to reject you like other people have. Some of you are afraid that going all in and breaking that jar is going to mean that you're going to have to change some things about your life. What is that shelf going to look like without that jar sitting there? Man, for generations of her family, that jar had been sitting on that shelf waiting, waiting for a good enough reason to be broken and poured out. What is that shelf going to look like once that jar is broken and everything changes? We're afraid sometimes that if we go all in with Jesus, it's going to require something of us that we're not ready to give. But I can tell you today that there's obedience in the breaking. When that breaking happens, it requires a place of obedience that maybe we haven't stepped into before. In verse 4 and 5, right after she broke the bottle and poured it onto Jesus. It says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. These are the disciples saying this. These are the followers of Jesus criticizing this woman for breaking this jar and pouring it out on Jesus. And to be honest, their reason sounds pretty good. And if I had been there, I might have been one of the ones saying the same thing they were saying because they, they wanted to impress Jesus. They wanted to be the one that Jesus looked at and said, now here's how you all should be acting. So they had this moment where they were like, oh, Jesus, you care about the poor. You're always talking about them. What if this woman had sold her perfume and given it to the poor? Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Jesus isn't minimizing here care for the poor. Jesus does have a heart for the poor and for the marginalized. But what Jesus is saying here is that everything we do has to be flowing out of a love for Christ. You can have right actions with your heart in the wrong place and be living in disobedience. If she had taken this jar of perfume and sold it and given the money to the poor, she wouldn't have been responding to what God was leading her to do. It would have been an action that looked good, but her heart would not have been in the right place. And if I'm honest, sometimes I fall into this myself, where I, I do things that technically are in line with the heart of God, but I don't do them because it's an outflow of love for Christ. I do them because it's something that makes me feel good. And I can usually tell when this happens because uh, if I'm doing it for selfish ambition, if I'm not doing it out of a, uh, being led to be obedient to Jesus, I usually want everybody else to know the good thing I've done. You know, I want to like make a post on Facebook and be like, oh, today I was such a good Christian. I, you know, I, I gave my whole sandwich to the man sitting in the Opeka station and he was so happy and I just felt the love of Christ. Like you don't have to tell anybody if you're operating in obedience to Jesus, you don't have to tell anybody because sometimes obedience happens in a moment of anonymity. You do this as an anonymous person and God sees you and that's an overflowing of love for Christ. But even I get caught in this sometimes. I do something that feels like the right action, but I'm doing it with the wrong heart. And that's what's happening here, is that the disciples are saying, your action doesn't make sense to us, but their hearts were the ones that weren't in the right place. 
The truth is that my obedience doesn't have to make sense to you because I don't answer to you. If I'm always obedient because I'm trying to impress people with how holy I am, that breaks down really quick when I'm not in public. It's easy for me to be obedient on Sunday mornings. Someone after first service was like, thank you for being obedient in your sermons. And I was like, well, I'm always obedient in front of the congregation on Sundays. Because that's easy, right? It's easy to live into obedience in that moment. But when I'm alone and it's just me and God... That's the moment where obedience has to flow out of me, and it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else, because I don't answer to anybody else but God. I have to live into obedience with God. I have to strive to know the word of God. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden the word of God in my heart so that I will not sin against God. How can I know what sin is if I don't know what the word says? I've got to stay in the word, and I've got to know the voice of God. And the more I get hungry for the word, the more I get hungry for the voice of God, obedience begins to flow more easily because I understand the heart of God better than I did before. And I want to let you know that sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we have the intention to obey God, and we make mistakes and get it wrong, but the grace of Jesus covers us in those moments. For a year, the first year I was out of high school, my first year of university, I went to a Christian college in the middle of America, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was really funny because there were all of these freshmen in university, fresh out of their churches from all over the country. And it was weird because the girls, the really, really pretty girls, God spoke to a lot of young men about those young women. So I had friends that had, like, guys walk up to them and say, I just saw you walking across the campus, and God told me you're my wife, you know? And it was weird, because at some point we were like, how many husbands does God intend for you to have? Like, they're starting to stack up a little bit here, you know? And, uh, and normally those girls didn't end up marrying any of those guys. But for those young men in the moment, they weren't doing that to be manipulative. They were sincere guys. Some of them probably were, but, but most of them were sincere guys who were really trying to hear the heart of God. They were trying to do God's will for their lives, and they got it wrong sometimes, okay? Sometimes when we're trying to obey God in a sincere way with good intentions, we get it wrong. But the grace of Jesus is big enough to cover us in those moments. The grace of Jesus is big enough to make sure he's not leaving us to, like, fail, God's not hanging us over a cliff and saying, make the right decision or else you're going to ruin your life. That's not how God operates. The grace of Jesus covers us in those times when we're trying our best to be obedient to him. The truth is that I would rather be broken in obedience than impressive in my disobedience. Sometimes it's more impressive to, to do the thing and to take control of the situation, but I would rather be broken in obedience than impressive in disobedience. You know what's hilarious is one of the guys standing there criticizing her for wasting this perfume was Judas, who in verse 10 of this same chapter, Judas turns around and goes to the chief priests and accepts money to betray Jesus. I mean, the hypocrisy of that moment is just beyond, right? But sometimes we do the same thing. We see someone else in their efforts to be obedient to God, and we criticize them, and we turn around, and in the secret places of our hearts, we're living in disobedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see King Saul 
uh, King Saul has gone to war and God has helped him overcome his enemy. And God says to King Saul, don't take any livestock. Kill all the livestock. Uh, destroy all the crops. Don't take anything that's been tainted with sin from these people. But Saul... You know, he was the king, and he saw the opportunity to expand his flocks and to expand his wealth. So he took the best of the flocks for himself. And the prophet Samuel came to Saul and he said, What have you done? God gave you very clear instructions not to do this. And you did the opposite of what God asked. And Saul says, Well, you know, just think of the sacrifice I can make to God with these fat animals. You know, this sacrifice is going to be so pleasing to God. So that's why I kept the livestock, because my plan is to give, some, to give some back to God. And Samuel goes, man, do you think your plan is better than God's plan? Do you think that God didn't think of that? Do you not trust that God knows what he's doing? And Samuel says to Saul in verses 20 through, 22 through 25, And this is called the message version of the Bible. It's very modern language. It says, Then Samuel said to Saul, Do you think that all God wants are your sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? No, he wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Look, I want to tell you a hard truth today, okay? Disobedience. Disobedience can get in the way of you achieving the purposes God has called you to. That's the the hard truth. When you're not obedient to God, when you consistently live in a place of disobedience, you hinder the work of God in your life. I've seen it with people. I've seen it with people. And the truth is that sometimes we can try to justify our disobedience by making it sound good. We're really good at this, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time, you know? It's like, man, Pastor Kelly's been talking about tithing, and and God's really been on me about tithing. But, you know, God wants me to have a healthy marriage. And in order to have a healthy marriage, we need to take a good vacation. So I'm going to put my tithe money in my vacation fund, because then I'll honor God through my healthy marriage, you know? Or you say, man, you know, I'm single, and I've been praying so hard that God will send me a spouse. And this person I'm talking to, they're not really bringing me closer to Jesus. In fact, they're bringing me further away from Jesus. But I bet if I bring them to church, they can get saved. And God's going to be so happy with me if I do that. Or you say to yourself, man, I'm, I'm making some ethical compromises at work. I'm lying at work to get ahead. I'm I'm doing some really shady practices at work. I'm participating in oppressive systems at work. But wait until Pastor Kelly sees my tithe check. And then she's going to be okay with this. Because I'm going to accumulate wealth so that I can bless my church. We qualify our disobedience by making it sound holier than it is. But the truth is that God did, call you, did, God did not call you to be rich. God did not call you to be famous. God did not call you to be powerful. God called you to be obedient. And sometimes on the way to the purposes God has for you, he gives you tools to use to achieve those purposes. Sometimes God blesses you with financial wealth as a tool for you to achieve kingdom purposes in your life. Sometimes God gives you a platform to achieve the purposes God has for you. But sometimes the tool becomes an idol. 
Sometimes that jar that's meant to be broken in obedience becomes an idol that we put on the shelf and we worship. And when that happens, we have to backtrack and we have to take that idol and break it before the Lord and come back into a place of obedience. The truth is that when we submit that thing that is most precious to us, when we submit that thing that is most precious to us before God, purpose begins to flow out of us. And we enter into a place of purpose that we never knew was possible. Because there is purpose in the breaking. There's always purpose in the breaking. As Jesus, as the scene wraps up, and the disciples are criticizing her, Jesus says to them, she did what she could. You didn't pour any perfume on me. You didn't do anything for me when I walked in, but she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She poured perfume on my body to prepare for my burial. And I want you to understand that this woman, when, when she did this, she didn't say to herself, oh, I'm going to prepare Jesus' body for burial now. That's not what she was thinking, but that's the purpose that God used that moment for. Because when we're in a place of brokenness, God takes the things that we're led to do, and he meshes it up with his purpose for the world. And all of a sudden, our lives are used in a way that we never could have manufactured, we never could have written for ourselves. God starts to infuse us with eternal purpose. And suddenly, the things that we naturally do, like, oh, I think I'll just break this jar and pour it on Jesus' head. All of a sudden, that becomes wrapped up in the purposes God has for the world. And we start walking in partnership with our Father. We start walking in partnership with the creator of the universe to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, the truth is that I am broken anyway. We're all broken anyway. But when my brokenness meets God's purposes, the things that I naturally do become enmeshed in in the work the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. See, we make the mistake of thinking that our brokenness is the end of our story. We think, man, I'm in a place of brokenness. I messed up. I didn't keep it together. Some stuff happened to me. I'm in a place of brokenness, and that must be the end of my story. But what we learn in this story is that the brokenness comes right before the release of purpose. The brokenness comes right before the release of purpose in your life. I might be ready to give up. I might mistakenly believe that God has forgotten about me, but when I'm in that place where I'm broken, and right when I think God has forgotten about me, right when I think the story is over, the jar breaks and purpose begins to flow out of me. See, the brokenness comes before the anointing. And in the Old Testament, when the high priests were anointed to the priesthood, or when the kings were anointed, a prophet would come and would pour oil over the head of the priest, or pour oil over the head of the king. And it says when Aaron, Aaron was the very first high priest, he was Moses' brother, Moses picked his brother to be the first high priest, I would have done the same thing. But there's this moment where Moses pours oil on the head of Aaron to anoint him, and it says that the oil flowed down his head, it dripped off of his beard, and it flowed down his clothes. Aaron was saturated with oil. Saul 
was saturated with oil. David was saturated with oil. And in that moment, the prophet took a moment to say, God's favor is on you. God's presence is on you. And you're walking with purpose. You're walking with purpose beyond what you and your human capacity can do. And God is with you. And that oil saturated every bit of them. Now in the New Testament, we start talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when you become a follower of Jesus, when you break that jar and say, I'm all in with you, Jesus. There's nothing else for me. I'm all in with you. It says in the Bible that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus breaks a jar of oil over our head and it saturates down into us and it covers us from head to toe. And all of a sudden, everything that I touch, I leave a mark of the anointing behind. Everything, every place I walk, that anointing is coming off of me and I become a carrier of the presence of God. But the anointing cannot happen in my life without a breaking. If I'm not willing to break, if I resist the work of God, if I resist the unknown of what God wants to do with my life, I limit his capacity to flow purpose through my life. God will not allow me to be broken without allowing purpose to flow out of me. Sometimes the place of brokenness that we're in is through no fault of our own. Sometimes other, other people make decisions, other people do things, and I find myself in a place of brokenness because of things that weren't my fault. And sometimes as Christians, we try to make sense of it, and we're like, God caused this to happen so that I could this, this. Look, I don't believe... I don't believe that God wanted you to be rejected or abandoned or abused. I don't believe that God wanted that for you. But I do believe that God is going to take your your purpose and he's going to redeem the pain that you have felt. I fully believe that when we walk, when we take that brokenness and we put it in the hands of Jesus, God redeems our pain and he swaps it out for purpose. See, the truth is, I'm already broken. When I was younger, in my in my younger days, I used to pray all the time, God, break me, break me, break me, break me. And what I came to understand was I was already broken and God's heart was to make me whole. God's heart was to take those broken places in me and to let the oil of his spirit begin to flow out of me in my place of brokenness. Jesus is so good to us. Because we come to him with these shards of alabaster. We come to him with these shards of clay. And we say, man, Jesus, I messed up. I have nothing to offer you. I'm nobody. I don't really know how to do anything. I don't know how to play an instrument on the worship team. I, I hate speaking in public. I don't know if I can do anything for your kingdom. And I'm dealing with some issues in my life that I can't seem to get past. But I guess you can have these shards of effort that I've made. And Jesus takes that brokenness and he makes us whole and he fills us with purpose. And all those places we thought were broken beyond repair, those are the places where the oil of his spirit begins to flow out of us and bring change to the people around us. See, the truth is that nobody understands brokenness like Jesus does. Nobody understands brokenness like Jesus. Jesus gets it because Jesus was broken In Isaiah chapter 53, we see the prophet Isaiah writing a prophecy about Jesus. And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and was familiar with suffering. 
Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. Would you stand with me this morning, and the ushers are going to prepare to serve us communion. See, the thing was, Jesus willingly allowed himself to be broken. He went all in with Jesus. We have this moment where Jesus said, Father, whatever you want to do with me, whatever I can do to live into your will, that's what I'm willing to do. He was all in. And Jesus was obedient. It says in the book of Philippians that he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He was obedient. He was broken in his obedience. And through his brokenness, new life is available to us. Through his brokenness, resurrection is available to us. It wouldn't have happened if Jesus had not allowed himself to be broken in the way God wanted him to be broken. But because of his his willingness to be broken, new life is available for us. Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com. 